HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm Michelle Nishan of Wholesome Wave, and I'm the guest editor this week on foodrepublic.com. So log in to the political section of Food Republic for fun, facts, great, meaty stuff, everything delicious, everything real, everything ready to go. Foodrepublic.com. Thanks, Heritage Radio Network. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. Hello, Greenhorns. This is Heritage Radio, Greenhorn Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers, brought to you every week by Hearst Family Ranch and by the Greenhorns themselves all over this country. I'm calling in today from Cambridge, Massachusetts, where we are busy scheming on farm hack, and I'm joined by Casey out in Moscow, Idaho. Welcome to the show, Casey. Oh, Hi, this is actually Marcy. <laughs> That's all right, Severin. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just talking to a graphic designer named Casey on the email. <laughs> You're busy. I can tell. Oh, man. It's fun. It's fun. How's things out there? Do you have snow? Um, barely. It's more slush than snow. We're still waiting for winter out here. Waiting for winter. Tell me about it. Yeah. But we were waiting for spring pretty hard this year, too. I know. We were. And now it's... We feel like we should be out working, but we know we need to be resting, so... (laughs) Need more white stuff on the ground. Now, okay, let's talk about Moscow, Idaho, because shockingly, many people in America don't know about the thriving downtown scene, co-op situation, and amazing uh, small-scale agriculture network of Moscow, Idaho. Tell us about it. I know. I know. Well, we're this kind of um, interesting bubble in the panhandle of Idaho. Um, We've got two university towns. We've got Washington State University, eight miles. Um, across the border into Washington. We've got University of Idaho here in Moscow, and 
Um, there is a thriving scene. We've got um, two farmers markets. We've got a downtown Moscow, you know, food co-op um, that is really attracts a lot of people, um, and we've found great support um, here in Moscow. There's lots of small farms, lots of people interested in community-supported agriculture, um, and really diversifying um, their local food habits. And it's happy. And, and tell us about the climate and tell us about the um, landscape. All right. Well, we're in the heart of the Palouse, which is rolling wheat fields. Um, we're actually the dry pea and lentil capital. Um, and so we're surrounded by um, these monstrous um, fields. And it's this golden waves that you um, kind of envision of the Midwest or kind of this little pocket here in the Northwest. Um, you know, it's um, a lot of wheat and barley and lentils and oats. Um, it's, it's dry, dry land egg, and um, so we're trying to carve out little pockets to grow vegetables and, and to do some meat production here. So. so there's wonderful little pockets, and it's nice because they really do look like pockets. I mean, yeah. um, you know, in the New York Times there was a great article about how Many folks in Iowa are taking out their, you know, back lot or in, and, you know, even plowing over golf courses to plant more corn and all oh, these man. kind of like little back hidden corners. And, but in the Palouse, it really is like little, um, drumlin shaped, um, drum, uh, like nooks where everyone yes. is growing their vegetables. Yes, yes, it is. And we're actually finding a lot of, um, you know, these really large-scale conventional farmers are interested in converting their farms into, even into no-spray um, uh, cereal crops or looking into row-cropping vegetables. I mean, it's pretty exciting um, that they, they want to stop exporting all of their goods to China, which is where a lot of the stuff that's grown around here, we don't have access to a lot of it. A lot of it's shipped overseas. And so it's really exciting to see a lot of these large farmers looking more locally. Well, it's um, one thing I was learning was how, in fact, uh, most of that wheat is is being turned into like ramen noodles, like yeah. soup noodles. Yeah. Which you know, it's a very compelling landscape, but uh, that's not a very compelling end product for your no. for all your work. No, no, and that's one of the things that we are kind of lacking here on the Palouse. You know, there used to be flour mills everywhere around here, and they've all gone away. And, um, you know, we could use some more processing facilities for those kinds of things. We could do a lot of this stuff, you know, for the region and for the West Coast. Um, yeah, we have the means to, to grow it. We just need to process it. So you're thinking like a systems thinker there. Uh, yes. Let's let's talk about how did you get the tools to make such a nice landscape analysis, and then based on your analysis, what have you decided to do with your life? Mm -hmm. Well, we um, started apprenticing on organic farms, my partner Greg and I, um, when we were still in college, and so we took some academic courses in agricultural entrepreneurship, which was a huge help in figuring out what we wanted to do and how we were going to get there. Um, we apprenticed at both um, the University of Idaho has a student organic farm, and that's where I started as a CSA coordinator and farmhand, 
and um, we both then worked at the Washington State University Organic Farm, and both of those were really great introductions um, into vegetable production and and then on top of that, just continuing to educate ourselves and take courses through county extension, through other uh, a local nonprofit called Rural Roots. They've been great in putting on classes, and we're actually enrolled in a course right now called Planning for Profit. And it's just for small-scale farmers um, who want to look at um, different enterprises or expand enterprises that they're currently involved in. So education has been really, really key for us. Well, so wait a minute now. Before we go any further, this is a very important thing to underline because um, in our work with the National Young Farmers Coalition, we have been emphasizing very strongly the need for continued support of educational and business training uh, yeah. funding that is, uh, you know, federal USDA funding that trickles down to groups like extension groups like university uh, trainings, farm beginnings, all of these uh, groups. And you're like, you're saying that these people who are who are making these workshops and, and these institutions who are basically in the business of, of setting up workshops mm-hmm. uh, to pump out young farmers into the universe, it's working. It's working. <laughs> it's definitely working. And it's just taking advantage of it. You know, we... Uh, one of the things that we saw a lot was, you know, these classes of $100 for a nine-week course, and then we found out that there were scholarships available because um, they received a lot of grant funding, that some of that grant funding has to go towards getting people into the classes in, in forms of scholarships. So we've been really fortunate um, in getting scholarships to take these courses. You know, we're the kinds of people, we're the young farmers that they want to educate, and they want to help us get there. Um, one of the things that were that was kind of lacking for us was the hands-on experience through practicums and, and practical application of uh, mechanization and, and, you know, scale-appropriate technology. And um, there, I definitely see a need for more of that kind of education. But the, so the like paper-based safety business, and mechanical cultivation and yep. field scale, like tools, tools, yes. tools and space to use them. Yes. Yes, so I'm really excited actually about farm hack and the things that are going to come out of that, and we're, we would love to see a farm hack out here in the West. Well, we've got a little conspiracy going in Washington State. I'll All right. I'll on the listserv if you want to be. Yes. Uh, so, okay, uh, now, so here we are. We're, we're, we're trained. We're eager. We're, we're thoughtful. We're making the business plan to actualize our ideas, yes. and we're already in love. Very convenient life plan you have so far. <laughs> and, and now what are you doing? What's that? Now, so now what are you up to? We are planning. Actually, this is going to be our first season that we will not be supported by an off-farm income. Um, we've been continuing to work part-time and farm the rest of the time, <laughs> full-time. Um, and so we're, we're making the leap this year. We feel like we've grown slowly and sustainably enough and building our business plan Um that we can that we can actually make the leap this year. So we're really excited. We're going to have a 25-member CSA, and we're going to be selling through two farmers markets and also to local restaurants. And so you have a very diversified set of clientele. You have your you have your farmers market, you have your restaurants, and you have your CSA. Yep. And you're feeling like that's the that's the amount of volume you need in order to go for it. Yeah, I think diversity is really the key, um, not relying on just one outlet um, because, 
you, you never know. You never know. It could start happen, raining so. every day, even in the dry Palouse. What's that? It could start raining every Saturday, even in the dry <laughs> Palouse, and then you'd be up the creek. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, the, the CSA is key to have the upfront money to buy the seeds and um, buy the equipment. Um, the farmer's market will definitely be our, our living income. And then the restaurants have been really supportive, and we're getting chefs in the area more excited about using seasonal produce. So, so that's the money to buy chocolate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Quality of life money. Exactly. <laughs> the fun and, money. And what are the, uh, what are the spaces that you are seeing when you're looking at your local food system there? And and what is what is going on and what is missing? If mm-hmm. people were thinking about relocating to Moscow, Idaho, um, yeah, what would you what would you what would you what would your guidance be? Um, I think that there's definitely a need for more um, meat production, but I think before that, you know, cart before the horse. It's we need the infrastructure, we need the processing facilities, we need uh, people who are interested in value adding, and how do we get to that point and investors um, you know one of the the things that Greg and I talk about a lot is you know wouldn't it be great if Moscow or Idaho had a land trust that would could get young farmers onto the land um, doing a really broad array of things um, that's one of the things that we keep running into out here is this access to land um, it's expensive and and you know we haven't gone into major debt yet we've got school debt and how do we you know Keep our heads above water. Above water and smiling. That's the real thing. Exactly. <laughs> um, so in your in your zone, that would mean uh, cannery canneries, yeah. poultry processing, local local meat processing, cold storage. What would it, what would the pieces be? Right. It would be definitely be cold storage is a big issue. Um, I, I think. Um, access to equipment for larger scale production. I think um, everybody around here that, that does vegetable production is pretty small scale. Everybody's still doing a lot of, you know, hand labor. Um, nobody's really mechanized. Um, and so I think that that's an opportunity, but we need the access to the equipment and, the, and that scale appropriate equipment. Um, but processing facilities, um, you know, Idaho has some pretty unique regulations. We actually, raw milk is legal in the state of Idaho. That's good. Um, there's herd requirements, you know, small herd exemption, um, but that's definitely a niche that has not been filled. So it sounds like there's room in Moscow, Idaho, for small raw milk dairy, maybe yes. even a woman-powered raw milk dairy. Hey, I like that. Sounds like a good plan. Always more dairy maids pep up the scene. Yes. <laughs> um, so how did you get your land, and what is your off-farm income that's allowing you to, to wrangle that? Right. So um, we lease. Um, we have a half an acre inside city limits. Um, so we've been urban farming for the last three years, and we've got a hoop house, and um, we, we keep chickens. And um, this year we are leasing um, a bit more land outside of town, but we're still keeping um, – we've got three plots around town of friends that have let us till up their yards to grow crops in. So it's pretty exciting um, that we've got such great support here. And then um, I work at the University of Idaho um, part-time um, as a 
program advisor for environmental science program. And um, so just making a lot of contacts at the university and getting people excited about um, thinking about agriculture in the area and getting professors to start thinking about farm hack and, and um, how they can help um, young farmers around here. So you're building the conspiracy during office hours. I can hear it. I am. <laughs> That's the nice thing about being thoughtful with your day job and being in a university town is such a good strategy. Also around Ithaca, it's like every single farmer is also working for the university. Yeah, yeah, it's great. You have access to, I think one of the cool things, I mean, I think in a university town it's unique that you've got all these minds that want to think about these things. They want to work on real-world problems, and there's students who want to work on real-world real problems. Yep. And if you can get community members and university members and people together, you can write grants. You know, USDA grants are out there um, to put together really interesting projects um, that can all be around agriculture. Well, and in that sense, it's like a CSA. The university is kind of an artificial community structure. Or, well, it's an institution. Yeah. And we, you know, we've got to use what we've got. Exactly, exactly. And so now, you know, the big thing is just to find the land to do it on. <laughs> so so um, this is Marcy Miller of Deep Roots Farm in Moscow, Idaho. She's looking for more land. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted to reach her, you can find her online at deeprootsfarm.com. And, Marcy, do you want to just mention a couple things that are amazing and that you loved or your recent favorite book or a blog that is making you happy just to um, – reward the sources of inspiration in your life? Yeah, I think I would really like to thank um, our county extension educator, Cindy Williams. She's been a huge source of information and major support for us and encouragement um, and the nonprofits that we've been working with here in town. And we're really excited. Um, Cinda's actually sponsoring me um, to go to a Women in Agriculture conference in February, which is all throughout the state of Washington. So everybody in Washington listening, um, all the women should definitely check out this conference. And we really love YouTube videos by the Urban Farm Guys. Oh. We will have to find those and link them. Yes, they're great. Good inspiration. Good inspiration. Well, you're a good inspiration, and it's really nice to talk to you. Nice and talk thank to you, you, too. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Now, that was Marcy Miller and that's Deep Roots Farm CSA, and they are wonderful. And Moscow, Idaho is a great town. There's a Christian cinema right on the main street, and there's an independent cinema. There's an independent bookstore. There's a wonderful co-op that sponsored a screening of Greenhorns, which is how I ever even knew about Moscow, Idaho. And lovely, lovely landscape. So... It sounds like people should think about relocating to Moscow right away. And I think that's the end of our session. Greenhorn Radio, this is Severin. Thank you, Heritage. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.